Hey friends, John White here again with uh, stories from the relational revolution. Uh, talking about Luke 10, talking about the uh, roots of the Luke 10 community. This is episode 85. Some days I think, how have I done 85 episodes? I'm not sure. Just sort of take it one at a time, but it's been a great delight and it's fun to see how so many of you guys are entering in with this. Um, it's on Spotify. You can uh, take a look and see how many people have listened to an episode. And I'm amazed that I think it's 108 people just in the last couple of days have listened to episode 84. So anyway, thank you guys for taking time to do that. Um, again, we're talking about the, the root system of Luke 10, and we're focusing for a while on the Hebraic roots of Luke 10. Um, if you're listening to this on your phone, I've mentioned to you before, there's a place down below where you can make comments or ask questions. Um, Chris Haven has made a great comment about episode 84. I want to read it to you. Chris is um, a guy who's God's using significantly in what we call a relational revolution. <clears throat> Here's what Chris said. Another great episode, referring to 84, listening to this made me think about how often I hear Christians lamenting the separation of church and state. But what we ought to really be concerned about as Christians is the tragic separation between home and church. This has been a far more devastating rending than any secularization scheme of government. That is a, such a great insight, Chris. I totally agree with you. The separation of church and home. The idea that for millions of Americans, you know, we get up on Sunday morning and we leave home and go to church, which uh, I think was never what God had in mind. And so we think in the relational revolution, God is uh, restoring the, the original idea of the church and the home. And then a question, um, Sarah, one of our Luke 10 leaders has left me with this question. Great question. Sarah is always, you are always great at asking questions, Sarah. I love it. You're, you're a, a, an amazing learner and question asker. So here's what she said. This is uh, from a week or two ago. My question has to do with the role of the local synagogue within the Jewish communities during the exile and the times when there was no temple and most of the Jewish religious practices occurred within the home. What role did the local synagogue play and how might that correlate to a local church today? So again, what's the relationship between the church and the home uh, and the synagogue first, and then similar parallel question relationship between church and the home and the traditional church. So, Sarah, I'm finally getting to answer your question. And in today's episode, I'm going to talk about the relationship between the church and the home or the Mikdash Mayat, the, the tome is the, the miniature temple and the, the synagogue. And then the next episode, you have to wait a little bit longer. The next episode, I'll talk about my thoughts on the relationship between the house church, vibrant family of Jesus and the traditional church. So today, we're talking about the role of the synagogue. And synagogue simply means the assembly. It's, it's no fancy word. It simply means people coming together. 
And as I've researched that, basically nobody knows um, when this started or how it started. Probably it started in the Babylonian uh, captivity, uh, same time as the Mikdash Mayat, when the rabbi said, okay, guys, we don't have, the temple is no longer available to us, so we're going to form hundreds of miniature temples in the homes. That's what we're going to do here. Probably the synagogue developed about that same time. So how was it formed? Again, no information on that. It's back in the recesses of, of history. But I have a theory about this. Um, this is sort of reverse engineering. So see what you guys think about this. Again, we've been talking based on um, Marvin Wilson's book, Our Father Abraham, his statement that the home was always more significant, more important than the synagogue for in Jewish life for spiritual growth. So the home, more important than synagogue. Um, why is that? Why is it the home is so important, the, the household? I think there are lots of reasons of that. Maybe the most profound, if we think deeply about this, we can trace it all the way back to the Trinity. And what is the Trinity? Well, we, we say these words so frequently, we almost forget what they mean. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think about that. At the very center of the universe, at the center of all of time, is what? This this family, this community. So in a sense, we would say that God is both singular and plural, typical of Hebraic thinking, comfortable with a paradox. How can that be? Singular and plural. Singular, we talk about the Lord, we talk about God, and then we talk about the Trinity, these three persons within the Trinity. But the very designation of the three persons points us to the idea of family. So I think it's, it's central to all of theology, all of history of the entire universe at the very center is family. And so the, the idea of the church in the home or the mikdash mayat is simply, I think, a reflection of who God is. It's a, it's a replication of the Trinitarian community. One of the places that we see this also in scripture, I think, is in Deuteronomy uh, 6. We, we've shared this passage before. This is a very famous uh, uh, comment from scripture. This is Deuteronomy 6. <clears throat> I'm going to start at verse 4. This is called the Shema. Shema means here. Listen up. So it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Every Sabbath, I want you to go to the the synagogue and listen to preaching messages about these commandments, right? No, that's not what it says at all. Listen to what it actually says. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, not in the synagogue, not that you shouldn't do that, but the center point of this is in the home. When you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, where do you lie down? At home, in your bed, and when you get up. Uh, where do you get up? Again, in the home. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the doorpost of your houses and upon your gates. So this idea uh, that the church is more important than the synagogue 
I think goes way back. I think that's the starting place. So how did the synagogue here? Here's my theory. Okay. I can't prove this. I can't give you a reference or a footnote or something. Here's what I think happened. So the Jews in the Babylonian captivity are seeking to live out this idea of church as a miniature temple. And one day, one of the parents was talking to another parent and he said, you know, we're really trying to do this thing about talking about the commandments as we sit around the house. But my teenager, he's not really into it. He's really bored with that. You've got teenagers and your guys seem to be more interested than mine. Could you, could we talk, could we meet and just talk about how you're doing that? And so they began meeting and talking about how to help each other live out this instruction that they got in Deuteronomy 6. And maybe they invited another couple and maybe they began talking about other things. Um, how do you do prayer in your home? How do you celebrate uh, the Passover? How does that work? And they began to help each other. And so that was the coming together, the synagogue, um, my theory of how it actually started. And pretty soon there began to be a group of people. Um, in later history, the ideal number was 10. You have to have at least 10 righteous men, they said. And maybe it's you can have women as well. Maybe you can have more than 10. It's called a minion, uh, 10. But, but maybe you could have fewer than that. I think it was probably very flexible to begin with. So originally, my theory, the synagogue was there to support and equip the um, miniature temple in the home. But what tends to happen knowing human nature as we do? Here, here's again my theory. So one Sabbath, the synagogue is meeting, and um, Moshe, Moshe has a great teaching about the commandments of the Lord. And everybody says, well, that was so great. Moshe, would you do that next week? Would you teach again next week? You are really good at this. And little by little by little, the synagogue began to be um, the, the central place more than the home. Because you know it was really easy to go and listen to Moshe, uh, Moses, um, teach about something or, or Simon or one of the ladies maybe was a great, great at leading worship. And little by little, the, the the center point of things began to move to the synagogue much easier for things to happen there. Cause it's really good there. They have much more, much more gifting to do things. And, and pretty soon the, the people in the individual homes began to defer, or I would say abdicate to the synagogue. Uh, I think this is human nature. When we lived in Denver, right across the street from us was a rabbi. He was an assistant rabbi in a large synagogue in Denver. I, you know, we have mega churches. This was a mega synagogue, thousands of people. Well, Mitch and I got to be friends. We would talk. And I was amazed to find out that a lot of what he was experiencing in the synagogue was the same thing we were experiencing in traditional church. Um, again, they had thousands of people. There was lots of politics, lots of tension within the, the synagogue staff. And the individuals in the synagogue largely abdicated to the professionals. Uh, they were the ones who knew how to do things. And so the idea of, of each home in that synagogue functioning like a mikdash mayat, a miniature temple, most of them didn't do that. They deferred to the synagogue leaders, let the professionals do that. And, and this is, I think, the... the Human tendency. This takes me back to this little story that I shared before, uh, when I was I was talking, I was being interviewed on a radio show, 
and uh, they encouraged people from Loop 10 to call in. And Matt uh, Daniels called in, and the interviewer asked him the question, what's the hardest thing about doing house church? And Matt said, you have to put on your big boy pants. That is exactly right. That's such a simple, funny little statement, but it, it encompasses so much truth that you have to grow up if you're going to do church in the home. If you're going to do a mikdash mayat, hundreds of years ago, it was the same thing. And the tendency was to abdicate, was to defer to the synagogue. Let them do it. They're better at it. They're trained in it. Uh, let's, let's do that stuff there. So I think that's my theory on the relationship between the synagogue and the, the miniature temples in every home. Some homes did it better than others, but I think there was that general drift that took place. So Sarah, in the next episode, I'm gonna talk about the application of this to traditional churches. You can probably get a feeling that uh, there are gonna be some similarities between uh, what we've talked about with the synagogue and the church in the home or the miniature temple and what we see today in today's world. But I'll unpack that uh, in a few days in the next episode. So for now, thanks for listening. Um, glad to be with you guys on this journey. Not what we hope was going to happen, but what we think is actually happening, that there is a relational revolution going on. And we're exploring the root system of all of that. So look forward to uh, sharing a bit more with you in a few days. Bye for now.